I invite you to please rise. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, but early in the morning he arrived again in the temple area, and all the people started coming to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and made her stand in the middle. They said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? They said to said this to test him, so that they could have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and began to write on the ground with his finger. But when they continued asking him, he straightened up and said to them, Let the one among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he bent down and wrote on the ground, and in response they went away, one by one, beginning with the elders." So he was left alone with the woman before him. Then Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She replied, No one, sir. Then Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Jesus Christ. Please be seated. Very grateful to be here today. And I'm sure that Father Bala already preached a wonderful homily on this gospel. But I know for myself, reflecting on confession, reflecting on Lent, uh, this past weekend, this was just a powerful reflection of a way that I had never thought about before within confession. Certainly the prodigal son is always the, is at least normally, the scripture verse that's always used for confession, right? You go away to this distant land, you, you, you know, give away all of this that you've taken from the Father, and then you come back and you're met with joy, right? Because the son was lost, but now is found. He was dead, and now he's alive, right? He came back safe and sound. And certainly that is confession. But one of the things that I don't think we always realize, and what I think I love this, uh, is that the other one, the sin is kind of away from God, right? The sin is committed away from God, and then when he comes, he's not, he doesn't say what he did, nothing else, you know, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, but, uh, but the Father, of course, stops him. In this, it's a very, it's, it's what I think we encounter in confession, where, of course, I don't know about you, but for myself at least, always going to confession and confessing my sins and naming my sins is not a very enjoyable thing, right? That's, that's not exactly... And we don't want to be overly nitpicky about everything that we do wrong, right? But there is a healthiness in being able to say in a non... Right? To, be, to learn to not be narcissistic or selfish or just kind of think that we're, we've always got it right, but to be able to accuse ourselves and be able to realize that we do something wrong in a healthy manner, right? In a way that's not overly accusatory as if there's nothing good that you do, but also to recognize that, you know, you're not quite, we're not quite perfect yet. 
And what I love about the woman caught in adultery is the way that Jesus encounters this misery. St. Augustine and others always beautifully talked about it, that misery itself meets mercy. And when we think about the sacrament of reconciliation, it's not just an accusation of ourselves, but it's an encounter of mercy in our miserableness. Because so often the areas of our life that seem as though we can't talk to anyone about, right? Because you don't want to talk to your spouse maybe about, you know, the ways that you screw up or, or your brothers or other things, you know, but, or, or those other things that, you know, you, you, you have thoughts and you're like, well, shoot, I keep on struggling in this way or that way and we can't talk to anybody about it and then we get isolated and we get, you know, shamed, especially by Satan in this kind of miserableness and it becomes more and more miserable and more and more closed in. And the sacrament of reconciliation breaks into that. And we think, well, if God sees this miserable part of me, right? If he sees this miserable part of me, then... He's going to get angry. Then he's going to walk away. Then he's going, to, he's going to see that I'm not really who he thinks I am. But yet, what do we see here today when Jesus is brought the woman caught in adultery? He's not surprised at all. I love the way that he interacts with this sin. Not interacts with, with the sin being confronted, right? Who, they, they bring her before him and they accuse her, right? Of course, where's the man in this situation, right? She was caught in the act of adultery. Um, where's the man? Um, but nevertheless, she's, she's brought before. And Jesus, instead of, right, he's not only caught in a, trying to be caught into a lie, but he's also trying to confront this same. And you can just imagine the heightened Uh, kind of tension of this, right? This is in the temple area. The Pharisees are there. There's been mounting tensions the last few days. And now this big case of adultery is brought before him. And the accusation brings death, right? You can just uh, feel the tension of the Pharisees and also the miserableness of the woman, right? Here this woman is brought in. Can you imagine your greatest sin being brought here before church and everyone knowing about it, and then the accusation being that you should be stoned to death, right? Her life is in her hands, her reputation, everything is stripped away to her greatest miserableness. And Jesus doesn't become overwhelmed. Instead, he almost slowly and deliberately bends down and writes in the sand, And different people posit what he writes. But I always like to think of the idea that he just doesn't write any specific words, but just starts doodling in the sand. Like as if like it's no big deal. Like, oh, we're just sitting here. And the Pharisees and their attention keep on asking him, keep on asking him. He's just doodling, right? He's not going to be overcome by the tension or the situation, right? He comes in and he sets the tone. But then finally, he deliberately stands up, right, and offers this beautiful response. Let the one among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Which is so important for us to always remember in our struggle for sin with ourselves and with others.
And then he goes back to doodling in the sand. Right? There's just a, a total, you know, we, and we experience our miserableness, when we experience our sin, often we're overcome by it, and we're kind of created a tension and anxiety, right? There's kind of anxiety that drives us to move, which is sometimes a good thing, right? If we're moving towards God, moving towards the good. But there should also be a peace in knowing that God can never be overcome by our sin. No sin is greater than His mercy. And so finally, He stands back up, right? And you can almost imagine just in a slow way again, right? He's not rushed. He's not anxious. But yet, where are they? Oh, oh, is is no one here? No one else was without sin? What do you know? And then he offers this, which I think is so incredibly important, and is our sending forth every single time, which, you know, there's two different ways of going. Either we ignore sin and say, well, you know, it's not really a sin. You know, everybody does it. It's not that big of a deal. Or we can say that it's so big that, you know, we'll never get over it, right? But Jesus forgives, right? Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Now, very important to note, this isn't an ultimatum. Sometimes we experience that in the confessional, like as if once we confess the sins, right, we're done, right? That's your one shot. If you commit that sin again, right, you're done. But no, it's not an ultimatum. You have to go and intend on not sinning again, but also realizing that we're in an environment of sin and we're also creatures of habit. And that Jesus also says in the fullness of Scripture, right, to not forgive just seven times, but 70 times seven. To realize that in the confessional is a place where our misery always meets His mercy. It's one of my favorite sacraments, right? The Eucharist and Confession are the two sacraments that beautifully transform life. That as a priest, I don't stand there as judge, but I stand there as mercy. I hear the sins not so that I might know what's going on in your life and be able to, you know, accuse you, but so that I might be able to help bring light to that miserable part of you, right? To allow you not to be closed in in darkness, but instead let the mercy of God and the light of God bring healing and mercy to that area. When we go to confession, sometimes we want to kind of prop ourselves up and be like, well, (laughs) I listen to my parents most of the time. (laughs) So what you're saying is that you... (laughs) Right? Sometimes don't listen to your parents. Okay, well, let's, you know, even if it's most of the time, we still want to be able to continue to accuse ourselves in a healthy way, in a good way, of those things that we don't do. Because if we don't acknowledge those things, Satan will. If we don't accuse ourselves of those sins and ask for God's mercy, Satan will be there to accuse us. But if we undercut that and say, you know what, I'm going to bring the Lord this miserable part of me so that Satan can no longer have that power over me, that power is broken. And so let us never be afraid to bring 
whatever it is, never be afraid of our miserableness, our failures, our difficulties in the sacrament of reconciliation because God is not overcome by it. He is not anxious in it. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And in the sacrament of reconciliation, we receive that. The woman in adultery, beautifully in providence, was brought, was dragged before God to receive his mercy. Maybe some children will be dragged before the priest to, to receive his mercy. But in that, mercy still takes place if we truly allow God to see it. And so as we come here today, may we never be afraid of that. May we honestly examine our life and see those things that we've put before God, that we've put before others, that we haven't fully lived out in the way that we feel called, and in those ways that we've hurt ourselves, we've hurt others, and we've hurt God, so that we might continue and start this day a new life in Jesus Christ, and continue to encounter Him and be transformed slowly over time as slow growth is good growth, and continue to encounter Christ in the Eucharist and in all of His sacraments.